Welcome to another episode of Downton Gabby, Life After Downton. This week we are digging into Beauty and the Beast, the live action extravaganza that may or may not have made one or more of us tear up a few times. <laughs> and talking as well about some of the tropes of a romance like that, what they do well, what they don't do so well, and some other examples in pop culture. I'm Brandy in Los Angeles. I'm Shannon in Oakland. And I'm Teresa in Brooklyn. So yeah, I'll just put it out there like, I cried like four times, but I did also have like three mimosas before the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I went in like wanting to feel some feelings, so I was like in the feeling zone. <laughs> and very pleasantly surprised by just the high quality of basically every aspect of the film. So I'm, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought about it too. Oh, Brandy, your your text was so funny. <laughs> I loved it so much. I texted like five people. I was like, did you see Beauty and the Beast? Because it was so fucking good. Like I don't even like I was I was like full Shoshana from Girls. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I, I liked it. I, I I don't I mean I did get weepy several times and we can talk about those weepy triggers in a bit, but um yeah. I I liked it. I enjoyed it. Some of the new songs weren't so strong, just like from a musical standpoint. I'm not sure yeah. why they wrote new songs. But anyway, the new ones were a little bit disappointing. But, um, you know, overall, it was fun. I'm not really, you know, Beauty and the Beast is just not really part of my thing that I grew up on. So, mm. you know... I thought it was nice, and you know, certainly, I thought they did a a good job at not offending me. So that's like a big plus, I think. Well, you know, it's interesting because my friend that I saw it with is the same age as Brandy and I, and she was talking about. She's like, I think this movie was so important to me because it's when I first started reading. It yeah. came out in the early '90s, and it's like when we really started reading as girls, and I think that's why Belle was so important to us. Mm. Right. I heard this from multiple people our age because, like, I think we were eight when this movie came out. Yeah. And mm -hmm. I'm like, because when I had on home video and watched it, I was a bookish brunette girl. <laughs> like, of yeah. course, I fucking loved Belle. You know, I had, like, the whole fucking playset of the castle and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was, yeah. like, upset. I'm jealous so, you yeah. had that. That sounds really cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is like. Definitely triggering some stuff from childhood in a in a good way to use that word, you know, like it yeah. it, it calls back to yeah deep seated connections that maybe Teresa you being like a cool twenty something when it came out probably didn't have <laughs> right because it's interesting because Cinderella came out and I still haven't seen it because Cinderella is, I I didn't really watch that much as a kid that wasn't one of the ones that I was obsessed with but Beauty and the Beast Little Mermaid Aladdin Lion King. Those are my movies. Mm -hmm, for sure. Right. And this is the first of the live action remakes that I've watched. I was really impressed by the just overall like production quality of it and all the new stuff that I know a lot of it was from the stage show. I really liked. I actually really loved the Beast's new song like a lot. Mm -hmm. I guess that one's not from the stage show though. They just wrote a whole new song probably so they can win an Oscar. Oh, that's interesting. That's very interesting, of course. Well, I know you guys are waiting to hear my story. I did like the movie. I did not love the company. Because when you make a choice to go see a children's Disney movie at 4.30 p.m. on a Sunday, you don't think, oh, I might get in a, 
in a fight with some blackout drunk women. You're just <laughs> not prepared for that kind of situation. So we get in this packed theater and we have to sit near the front. We're on one side of us are a bunch of toddlers, like three to five year olds, well behaved. And then there's four women next to us who we didn't realize were drunk when we sat down, but quickly realized what was going on. So the movie's starting and they're just talking. They're just talking to the movie, talking to each other, just talking, talking, talking. Uh, and then they're just pouring vodka, pouring vodka. They went through a whole <laughs> bottle of vodka and it just started to get really weird. So one of the women, when Belle is coming to the castle and she goes, hello, hello. And she started repeating every line very loudly. And it was really confusing what was going on. And then she's singing and she's waving her arms, singing so loudly. Of the four women, each of them got up to go to the bathroom about two to three times each. They're yeah. yelling to each other, give me that Gatorade! Who's got that Gatorade? <laughs> They're arguing with each other, get me shh! They're texting on their phones. They're getting calls on their phones. They drop their bottle. It rolls. They're trying to find it. And they kind of stop for a while. Then they start up again. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I just couldn't even believe this kept happening. And she was like, if you tell me to be quiet one more time, we talk through movies. That's what we do. Oh, yeah. So they finally all left. It smelled so much like vodka. I think they spilled it everywhere. And then when the movie ended, I looked and one of the women had left her purse. I, I hope you went through it and took all the cash. <laughs> Just start distributing it through the theater. Yes. Like, if anyone wants to write down this credit card number yes. <laughs> and buy your tickets for a different show. I had a model audience of people who were absolutely enthralled. Did you see th it in 3D? No, but as soon as the like beginning rose like came to the screen, I was like, fuck, I wish we'd seen it in 3D. <laughs> I think I'm gonna go back. I think I'm gonna go back and see it again in 3D. I, I saw it in 3D. It was it was okay in 3D. I'm I'm kind of a little tired of of it, but me too. Yeah, it was all right. There was one with a couple scenes where the plates are flung directly at you that you you do actually duck. But <laughs> oh yeah, I could see I'm not that. sure that you um, missed that much. Well, let's talk about the comp inevitable comparison between the cartoon and the subversion and. I think a lot of very uh, astute observations about the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale in general and the cartoon specifically do call out some some tropes that are not super great to be teaching to young girls like, oh, just stick around with this awful guy and maybe he'll magically change into a prince or, you know, Stockholm Syndrome is normal. <laughs> Those kind of... <laughs> yeah. Of tropes uh, that I felt like the movie actually softened a lot of that. You know, we got a little more character stuff about the prince. We they had some moments together that felt maybe a little more real than just a song montage. Although we did get our song montages as well. Uh, so, what do you guys think about like the overall messaging of the romance? I think the thing that bugs me about Beauty and the Beast in general is that idea of hey, woman, you are responsible for changing this horrible, abusive man into a good man through your love. And if you mm -hmm. just stick with it, you're going to change him. And even though he's going to give you a lot of abuse, just hang in there because, yeah. you know, and that's, that's probably like the worst of them. And um, I think the film 
really, I think it's actually kind of softened the beast a little bit. Did anyone else get that idea? I felt like the beast wasn't quite as, you know, beastly or became much less beastly pretty quickly. By the time they're discussing Shakespeare, like mm-hmm. it's over, you know, <laughs> like they're talking about books <laughs> and he's showing her his library. I mean, the animated beast was kind of a dummy, right? I mean, he gives the library to her as a gift because he doesn't use it, I guess, in the in the cartoon. And in this one, it's more like, oh, my God, a common bond, which is, yeah. of course, a, a better thing to message to young girls. I feel like he came across more as lonely. And so when they first start talking about Shakespeare, it was like, oh, they're both lonely in the same way of being misunderstood and having no one to connect to. So it felt more like an even power love story. That's right. They did They did really stress that, that they were both sort of outcasts in the world in their own way. They sort of came together on that. And also, at the end, spoiler, when he basically gives her her freedom to go take mm-hmm. care of her dad. I mean, that is part of the original story, too. But there's some way in that it was handled in this one that really made it feel like he just could, you know, he just didn't really want to keep her there and... Yeah, I don't know if it was, I mean, a Dan Stevens kind of like a motion capture thing, but I never had felt that, like, the Beast's shame in that moment. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. his realization that, like, oh, I've I've done something I shouldn't have done. Right. Um, because I think in the cartoon, it's more like he's just sad and he, and he is going to miss her when he lets her go. And this one was really like, oh, I have to, like, rectify what I did. Um, I felt that in the performance somewhere, even though it wasn't really spelled out. I I think that's perfectly put, Brandy. I think it was the shame of like, even though this is for the greater good of all the servants and everyone in, you know, the castle that they're all under this curse, it's like he has no right to separate her from her dad who needs her help. Yeah, there was just a lot of emotional complexity, I think, throughout. And I I think it did help that they had such good special effects on the Beast's face. That Dan Stevens is a, you know, he's a good actor. But also, they had all this very fancy motion capture stuff. And his face was incredibly expressive. Yeah, so was it CGI? I'm not sure how much of it was CGI and how much he was wearing, like, actually a costume. I'm I'm confused. He was CGI'd. Like, his face was covered in those little pinpoints that they used mm. to animate. So his entire face was CGI'd based on his own expressions and acting. Um, oh, wow. And I, and I think that's why it looked so good. Like, he talked about how in the ballroom scene that that was the hardest scene to film because he's dancing on stilts and his face uh-huh. is covered with, like, CGI dots. And it was just really hard. <laughs> And she's supposed to look in love. <laughs> to actually look in love and waltz around and all of that with all of this giant, you know, contraption on him. But but this is what I read. This is how they created it. In- it looked fantastic. And yeah. I think it, it really makes a difference to to be able to feel him as a complex character. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I know you guys have been wondering what I thought about the dance. So thank mm-hmm. God the drunk ladies <laughs> left by Tales of this Time so I could really focus. And I thought the dancing was great, um, especially Emma Watson is a really good dancer, and that dress was beautiful, and it was built to move to dance. Yeah. And I, I thought it was beautiful. I loved that whole scene. I thought it was perfect. When the Beauty and the Beast song starts up, and you know they're both all dolled up for each other, and it was, it was, it was really 
very romantic in a way that I have never felt honestly the story to be romantic I mean she is she's dancing with you know some kind of shaggy animal but in this one it (laughs) seemed it had I don't know humanity is the wrong word um, you know, it was like, okay, so I put in the notes, this is a terrible analogy, but you know how a wharf on Star Trek, you know, is an alien <laughs> being and he's, you know, the sort of violent warrior like alien being, and he's got all this stuff on his face, but you can also see the person underneath all that. And you mm-hmm. can understand why Deanna Troy would, you know, be into that. So yeah. I felt the same way. <laughs> Does this make any sense? Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I felt the same way with the Beast. Like, I didn't I didn't really feel like she was actually um, in love with a water buffalo. I felt like she was <laughs> in love with this, you know, being, this thinking mm-hmm. and feeling being. It's exactly how you were supposed to feel, despite Twitter's loving remarks about... It being a movie about bestiality. It did not feel like a movie about bestiality to me. It did not. It did no. not. No. I did not love the creepy child version of him in that song that they added that wasn't very good. I mean, both of us were like, whoa! Like, that ghost child. I don't know. He looked really creepy. I'm, I'm mixed on the, like, childhood exploration for both of them. I think overall the idea was was good to bring in more of, like, their full stories. But yeah, you know, just any any real emphasis on Disney's dead mom's problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we had double dead moms. Really kind of, yeah, you know, it's like we're just going to, we're really going to double down on the dead moms. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily excuse any behavior just to have a dead mom, guys. Yeah. I also take small offense at the magical being who starts off as a crone who is supposed to be a repulsive old lady and then ends up beautiful and young. That, that, (laughs) really? Are we really still doing this? It's a lot to watch them all laughing at her a lot more than in like the cartoon version where you know the story is told in like just stained glass paintings oh yeah (laughs) stained glass windows i mean which i love the opening of the cartoon (laughs) and that was almost kind of like why didn't they bring back that voice it's such a good voice you know i watched um fairy tale theater the fairy tale theater version of this shelly duvall shelly duvall fairy tale theater from the 80s where they made where they made all the different fairy tales Yeah. yeah oh my god this was my thing when I was a kid. They had them at Blockbuster, and I would go get a different one every week. I loved them. <laughs> yeah. That's adorable. So, so I looked that up, and they did Beauty and the Beast. Um, it was directed by French director Roger Vadim. <laughs> mm. It really had big names. Roger. And Roger Vadim. <laughs> and, they, uh, and it was starring Susan Sarandon. Oh, God. As Beauty. And as the Beast, <laughs> Klaus Kinski. That is really fancy. <laughs> I need to watch this again, but I loved those as a kid. I would watch all of them. I remember, I remember what aisle. I remember what section of the aisle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is visceral. These, yeah, these things get Apparently. into your mind. Apparently, it was it was a slightly different story, but I mean, Klaus Kinski was really repellent. I gotta say that German accent does not help when he's got like this, <laughs> you know, sort of dog face well i 
I tried to watch a, a 1976 TV movie you can find on YouTube that has George C. Scott playing the Beast. And it's essentially just George C. Scott in a wig and a pig snout. <laughs> it's just <laughs> pretty yeah. unwatchable. But just for that image, I do recommend that you go find it. You can, you can find a photo of that. <laughs> Well, I really loved Gaston. I thought he was perfectly cast, and I feel like that guy should have been in Fifty Shades of Grey instead of the guy <laughs> from The Fall, because he's super hot, and he's a great actor, and he totally milked the comedy. He was great, and the actual Gaston song, which is not usually my favorite... Mm -hmm. it was fantastic like all the dancing all the like added comedy they put in there i was i was really satisfied with that as a set piece i always loved that song so i yeah i was totally enthralled and this is the first time i've ever liked josh gad in anything (laughs) good job josh gad good job good job so what did you all think of the um gay lefou Oh, God. It was barely a thing. Why yeah. did they even say that it was a thing? I don't know. I don't understand why. Because it was barely... Like, it would have been a lot cooler if it just was, you know, just was sort of there. And then people would go, hey, did you notice? You know, or whatever. It just seemed silly. This is Disney trying to stay relevant. They have dashes of diversity. I mean, there's no Asian people or Latinos. But, you know, we got a couple of black people. One even got a line. You know, I mean, this is Disney, like... <laughs> attempting to be hit. Yeah. We talked about that after the movie, my friend I saw it with as well, where it was the the quote-unquote diversity casting, which is like, on the one hand, I'm very glad to see Audrey McDonald and even mm-hmm. very briefly Gugu and Botha Raw, but like, right. on the other hand, you're really just calling attention to how your entire actual core cast is still white. Absolutely. You, know, you just have to do, you have to do better than, than what they did. Even the horse is white. Come on. Even the horse. (laughs) Even Philippe. But yeah, like, imagine this. Like, there's no reason that even if you decide that, because I think Emma Watson was perfect casting and Dan Stevens is perfect casting. Like, even if we put those aside, there's no reason that Gaston and LeFou have to be white, too. There's no reason anybody has to be white. Not Not if you're establishing that the village is diverse, then you don't have to do that. So. Mm-hmm. But they did great. They did great in their roles. But I mean, if they're going to keep remaking all of these. They need to think a little more outside the box as they as they go along. I think. I agree. Yep. I have to say, my favorite gay moment was when those swordsmen got dr- transformed into drag. And he looked very happy about it for a moment. One of them gave the sweetest, most excited smile to the camera. <laughs> I just thought it was wonderful. That's that to me was the gayest moment in the entire film, and it was. It was awesome. also the best joke. It was like got a yeah. huge laugh. I mean, it's a delightful laugh. It's not like a laughing at him. It's like a laughing with him. But yeah, you know, it was it was one of the smartest moments in the film. I thought. Yeah, I definitely saw though like Twitter debate. Like, is he supposed to be just a man who enjoys drag? Is he supposed to be transgender? Like, what is this? <laughs> like, he's just happy. I don't think I don't really think we can get that deep into it, guys. From just those two seconds. No, he's wearing a beautiful ball gown and he's happy. Why do we? Have I'm sure to even he doesn't know quite what it means exactly. yet. He's still working it out. Yeah, but I I like that scene a lot. 
One thing that did bug me is when they all become human again, and, you know, Cogsworth the clock, and he's not happy to see his wife. And it's like, why do they always have to have some married couple in Disney movies that hates being married? And it's like, yeah. he's just rude to her. And it's like, really? This is so outdated. And also, it's just really fucked up that the servants even get affected by the curse. Like, whatever. Mrs. Potts has that bullshit reason we we <laughs> stood by. What are you going to do? You're a servant. Like, what are you going to do? Like, it's just bullshit in the story that they are. I mean, they couldn't do that. They couldn't say anything to their master. Are you kidding me? If we've learned anything from Downton Abbey, we've learned that. <laughs> right. And Matthew should know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Especially, okay. I mean, Chip was a little boy, especially. Like, how did he get dragged into this? And the dog. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, can we get this enchantress on the line and, like, hear some of her reasoning for yeah, this? seriously. What did this dog ever do to deserve this? <laughs> Don't you think it raises the stakes? Though, I mean, isn't of that course. part and of it, Of course, and especially right? in this one, when they're not just going to, like, stay Mrs. Potts forever. She's going to become a an pot. animate teapot. Like, right. that's taking it way farther than the cartoon Yeah. Does. It was very upsetting. Like, even when I knew they're about to come back, when yeah. they're all, like, saying goodbye to each other, like, it's been an honor being serving with you. I was like, fucking hell. <laughs> like, that's really sad. Yeah, it was very effective. It was a good I mean, they made really good choices. I mean, I guess we've been, you know, watching trailers for this for about 10 years, it feels like, right. so I guess it was worth it. I was really relieved, very relieved to enjoy it as much as I did, yes, after it does feel like it's been advertised for a decade, for sure. I, I just right. want to mention that um, Beauty and the Beast is this box office monster, Forbes reported mm -hmm. on this today, and it says, at the time of writing, it's earned $174.75 million in North America and even more than that overseas. So in yeah. uh, one weekend. It was almost $400 million in yes. its first three days worldwide. Exactly. And, you know, it's the sixth highest opening weekend of all time. It's the first or second biggest female-fronted debut weekend ever. If you consider The Force Awakens a female-driven movie, it is number two. But otherwise, it is number one. So, yes, it's really too bad that women don't go see movies and no one likes movies about women. Yeah. It's a, it's a real shame. <laughs> and that's real on, damn shame. That's on the heels of um hidden figures which has been killing it at the box office just a great first few months of the year also this last weekend was the largest vodka sales you know ever. <laughs> everyone read the same pop sugar article get a bottle of vodka and go see beauty and the beast with your girlfriends i i will admit uh. i've taken a flask to a movie or two to get through 50 shades of gray for sure listen I'm not anti-drinking in the movie oh, at all. Absolutely not. You gotta get a little buzz on. That's it. That's what that's what the goal is. Yeah, get a little buzz yeah, on to enhance the feelings. This is like when I took a split of wine into Inside Out by myself. <laughs> that was great. No, I am not anti-drinking in movies. This was something else. But yeah, overall, loved it. I can't wait for... Little Mermaid. I mean, if they can, like, CGI the Beast, 
Like, we can have Little Mermaid, right? When's that going to happen? I don't know. I thought they were making some kind of, like, dark Little Mermaid. Like, not Disney, but someone else was making some kind of, like, dark Hans oh. Christian Andersen Little Mermaid thing. Yeah. Like, it was supposed to be a Sofia Coppola movie for a while, and then she decided she wasn't going to do it. So, right. I don't know if that's still the happening. The original but... story's very dark. It's yeah. really dark, the original story. We'll see. Oh, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about, like, heroines in this kind of a story, because... Um, Shannon, you had said that you thought Belle was, like, so feminist, and then they put her in this, like, not particularly feminist situation. Yeah. Although, like we said, they did it better in this movie, but I think you could say that about, like, a lot of fairy tales and a lot of romances. Right. Where you can cling to this, like, very strong female character, but then the trials that she's being put through and the decisions that she's made in the end always kind of you know, send some bad messages about what a relationship with a man is. Right. They're always beneath her ability because I think what Disney does well is they they come up with plucky, smart, feisty, breaking the rules kind of heroines. And then they put them in these situations that dumb them down and don't let them use their true abilities. And I think Beauty and the Beast is a perfect example of it. She is probably the smartest Disney princess, and, I mean, is she even a princess? I guess she becomes a princess, but, you know, Disney heroine, and she's smart, she's independent, she's an inventor, she is loyal to her father, she's curious, you know, and it did bother me in the movie that the moment that he looks at her differently is when she's tending his wounds, which is, like, <laughs> the, the nurture... It's like, oh, you're not going to be... You should be giving that look when she's, like, fucking talking Shakespeare. But overall, it was pretty good. But I think Disney is really good at coming up with a great female character. They just don't know what situation to put her in. But, yeah, you get, like, your Jasmines, who I think is is kind of a, a sister character to Belle as far as the, like, feisty woman who's trapped and they're with the father and, uh, you mm-hmm. know, she ends up kidnapped by someone. and uh, Right. Yeah, there's always stuff that still makes you pause, no matter how much you actually like the female character. Or, like, one of my favorite um, Disney movies is Sleeping Beauty, and one of my favorite scenes is when she's been, like, singing about romance in the woods, and then when the actual prince comes along, she's like, excuse me, who are you? Like, you weren't invited (laughs) to my fantasy. (laughs) And he's like, but you were just singing about a dude, and here I am. And she's like, oh no, that wasn't about you. But, you know, we're still trapped in the patriarchal structure of fairy tales, right? I mean, we're, we're still, even as plucky and feisty as the girl is, you know, mm-hmm. she's still trapped in this fairy tale. I mean, what we really need is, like, stuff like, do you guys know Atalanta from Free to Be You and Me? No. Are you familiar mm-hmm. with this fairy tale? So it's a Greek myth, which is completely sexist, but it got rewritten for Free to Be You and Me, which is Marlo Thomas's super feminist awesomeness from the 1970s and Atalanta is this princess and her father wants to marry her off and she says I don't want to be married off and he says I don't really care what you think I'm having a road race uh, a foot race and the fastest man who wins the race gets your hand in marriage and she's like fine but I get to run also and so Mm -hmm. she runs the race also and she ends up tying this guy now that's that's pretty good already but what happens is they become friends and then 
he goes off to sail the world and discover new lands, and she goes off on horseback and becomes an astronomer. Like, the and they both live <laughs> happily ever after. Yeah, and they both live happily. So, did I just blow your mind? Um, you know, kind so of. That's that's really like where I I feel like like we need to go because she gets to go off and have her adventures. Mm-hmm. And and live happily ever after. <laughs> this thing completely changed my life, you guys, when I saw it, when I was a tender youth. So it really changed the way I looked at fairy tales and my own sort of fate and what happiness might mean. Because mm-hmm. I was completely seduced by the handsome prince, you know, arriving and fixing everything. So anyway, sure. I'm so I'm just saying, like, I think that I think this new round of Disney live action stuff is going to be an improvement it better be an improvement but it's still until you bust out of the man and woman meet and live happily ever after the end mm-hmm. it's still the same story yeah. right and I think that's what I always loved about the Greek myths which I think have the same type of persistence as the fairy tales and I love the Greek myths because the female goddesses you know had a lot more agency a lot more power a lot more promiscuity they didn't have to be bound to one man. And I think that's part of women's power. And I get really frustrated because I read a lot of YA. And so much of it is this king's queen's bullshit. And it's so much about being chosen. It's so much about being destined for this thing. So it's not about your personal power. It's still about your birth and your man that you end up with. And so I think... I love all the Disney stuff growing up and then you get older and you, you know, you get your, your feminist glasses on. You're like, wait, this is fucked up. It's fucked up. up." But even when I go back to the Greek mess with my feminist glasses, I'm like, this is, some of it's fucked up for sure. But some of it's like, oh, she's still a badass. That's cool. (laughs) So I kind of want more of like the Greek myths to come back. I was recently also reminiscing about some of the um, cartoons of the 80s. But there was like this streak of very empowering cartoons. I was talking about Jem. Oh, Jem is like she's in a rock band, and she runs her record label, and she owns a home for orphans, and she solves mysteries. (laughs) (laughs) She she has it all. Okay, and she was the theme of my kindergarten birthday party. That's right. Right. Cool. Or like Shira, you know, Shira, Princess of Power. Yeah, and He-Man was her brother, and they ruled things together, you know? She didn't need no man. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Not that not that we're anti-man and anti-romance. We like it. Obviously but, not, but yeah. But just as the always the default. And Shannon, when you say talk about being chosen, I think that is a really big part of it. And, and by the way, there are no ugly Disney princesses. There are no regular looking. There's no Daria of the Disney princesses. <laughs> no, sorry. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the closest they get is in Brave, which kind of does the same kind of story you were just talking about, Teresa, where, you know, they're supposed to um, shoot arrows for her hand in marriage and she enters the contest herself and wins. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but yeah. and then the rest of the movie is about her mom issues. So I really love like the first 20 minutes of that film and the rest I was like, oh, again, women can only talk about emotional problems. It's like, come on, just let her be a warrior. And that's where I get really frustrated in this chosen idea 
They never earn it. And that's what I loved about Katniss. I mean, she really is a rare, rare female hero because she fucking earns it. What do we think about Frozen in this universe? Um, Frozen, I was ready to be wowed. I thought it was going to be like The Lion King. I mean, when The Lion King came out, it blew my fucking mind because it was so different than the other Disney movies. It was so profound. It just, it was just totally different. So I was expecting that, and then I was like, oh. It was kind of like in Arrested Development. Her? Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I think Let It Go is an amazing song. I do love that it's about sisters. I was bored a lot. I just, yeah. maybe I'm not the target audience. Yeah, I, I, didn't, I didn't love Frozen, but I did appreciate that the story was about the two sisters, and, you know, not about, you know, right. Handsome Prince. I mean, we did get the fake out, but. Really, the most feminist uh, Disney movie of late is Moana. Moana is mm-hmm. incredible. The music's amazing. And she doesn't have a love story. Yeah. She's just, I mean, that's incredible. And it's its a fantastic film. I was really yeah. blown away. Yeah, it's a great film. And it's true. She doesn't have a love story. She's about other things. She's about cool. becoming a leader, not being a prize. I do wish that Disney would make more, like, random stuff because, like, one of my favorite Disney movies of all time is Lilo and Stitch. You know, it doesn't have to be a princess movie for kids to like it. You know, everybody loves Lilo and Stitch. I never saw it. I don't think I've seen Lilo and Stitch either. Oh my god, it's so good, you guys. It's so funny. (laughs) But there was no princess in it. But Lilo is, like, the best little feminist badass character. She just takes no shit from anyone. She's very difficult, too. You would love her. Mm. Love her already. Love her already. So speaking of tropes, one of the worst tropes is, hey, this is a story about a woman. Just kidding. It's really about a man's struggle, (laughs) a.k.a. The Crown Season (laughs) 2. Oh, my God. I just don't know who is in the audience who watched the entire first season of Crown and said, I really wish it was more about Philip. I just, who on earth would have that be their impulse? It's a baffling choice that they're announcing. And they seem to think that it's so interesting. Like, oh, we're going to take it in a different direction. Oh, you're just going to make it some bullshit? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's not a different direction to center a white man in the story. Yeah, it's it's really frustrating. And I, and I think that most people that we've heard from have been really unhappy with this we did get one comment on facebook from um one of our facebook friends michelle cromwell on the downton gabby page i don't know if you saw that she's sharing the idea that uh she says elizabeth kind of saunters her way through the next period of time and it pretty much was all about philip i don't know my history on in terms of that aspect of it I just keep blaming Lord Mountbatten because he just keeps <laughs> scheming to get Philip whatever he can so if he somehow paid off Peter Morgan to write about Philip now then you know there's really there's part of me that thinks that they just should have waited until the queen's death to do an in-depth show about her because it's like they don't want to speculate um, I think we touched on this when we talked about the show, that it, I would rather see it be a little more fictionalized and be able to dig really deep into interesting female relationships, like with Princess Margaret, 
and have them have room to speculate a little bit rather than just stick to the just the facts you know and and then now we have to watch philip i just can't watch another film about like the real suspense is whether this guy can get a boner while being you know (laughs) one of the most powerful women in the world I mean, I literally feel like we're just going to have a boner meter. Oh, he can't this week. He's feeling emasculated because he got on a party (laughs) planning committee. Oh, he is this week because he got his pilot's license. You know, I mean, it's just like, what? (laughs) I mean, this is kind of the problem with the Victoria on PBS, too, which also, well, the crown was vastly better than Victoria. I mean, and it would focus a lot on whether... You know, he was happy with her. And it's like, who cares? <laughs> who cares? Well, it's about her being a power and not just her worried about childbirth. That was, like, her biggest conflict. Right. But, okay, just just to push back a little, I think that being the queen <laughs> comes with all of the problems with patriarchy. That sure. you are the boss, even though everyone around you believes that women are inferior to men and yet uh, you are the queen and therefore superior to everyone including all the men and that tension is pretty interesting and how you navigate that and remember even if you're the queen you still grew up in a society that said the same things to you about men and women right so I think it's interesting I just don't want a whole season about the guy that's all I mean, let's keep that storyline going. Yeah, and I feel like both shows, I feel like both shows skew towards the guy. And her feeling bad about him walking behind her or him kneeling to her. And it's like, I don't know, I just, I want a different story. I mean, obviously I'm a Queen Elizabeth fan. Because you know what her story doesn't involve? This bullshit. It's like, (laughs) oh, actually ruling. Like, let's hear the decisions. Right. At least the princesses get to stay the protagonists of their story. Princesses come out on top of queens this time. All right. Well, I'm just going to hold out for the next Queen Elizabeth biopic, so. Elizabeth I. Yes, excuse me. And Anne Boleyn. She was pretty much a badass, too. So, And a little bit of a slut, which I kind of like. So. Then you want to spend some time with Wolf Hall, which was on PBS and really excellent. And you get a lot of Anne Boleyn there. And she's she's a badass. And she's played by Claire Foy, who plays Queen Elizabeth II in The Crown. So there you go. We could use an Anne Boleyn right now in America, I'll tell you that. Let's overthrow this <laughs> bullshit, start a new religion, just change everything. I'd love an ambulance. I don't think Melania is going to do it, but, you know. No, I don't think so either. Well, thank you for listening. We would love to hear your thoughts about Beauty and the Beast, about which Disney princess you like to defend or which you just can't stand, or anything at all about fairy tale, romance, tropes. We are here for this conversation all the time, and you can find us on Twitter at Down Gabby, on Facebook by searching Down Gabby, and on Tumblr at downgabby.tumblr.com. Adventure in the great white somewhere. I wanted more than I can tell. And for once it might be grand to have some.
much more than they've got planned. Now I know she'll never leave me, even as she runs away. She will still torment me, calm me, hurt me, move me, come what may. Waiting by an open door I'll fool myself, she'll walk right in And be with me As it can be Barely even friends Then somebody bails Unexpectedly Just a little change Small to say the least Both a little scared Neither one prepared 